Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. Well, if you join those that are standing just for one moment more in honor of the reading of God's Word tonight, we're going to go to the Word of the Lord. And uh, while you're making plans to do that, finding if you have a Bible or a phone or device to find it, we're going to read from John, the 20th chapter. While you're doing that, let me take an opportunity to say how great it is to have, uh, well, I wouldn't really call anybody here tonight visitors, but uh, we're glad to have old friends and new friends and, and uh, well, I shouldn't say old saints, should I? All the young saints that are here tonight, say amen. I'm going to give all of you a chance. Everybody should, should, should have said amen to do that again. All the young saints tonight, say amen. We're glad everybody's here. Amen. Give our guests a hand. Would you do that? Praise God. John chapter 20, verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails. And thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What a statement. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. And uh, this man that they're talking about, Thomas, was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. I want to talk to you tonight from this thought, faith without the touch. Faith without the touch. God bless you. You may be seated. The Lord will bless his word. Thomas apparently decided that he needed to see Jesus with his own eyes, and that wouldn't be enough, but he decided he needed to touch the Lord's wounds prints in his hands, his side where the spear went in. He needed to do that before he would believe that Jesus truly had been resurrected. And uh, really, we could just use our modern English to say it like this. He needed rock solid, no doubt about it, proof that Jesus had risen from the dead. Uh, he had been a loyal follower of the Lord with the rest of the the 12 or the 11 for some three and a half years. And uh, that, that really, though that wasn't enough, whatever Jesus had said to them, even though he told them on several occasions, I'm going to die, but I will rise again. He apparently would not believe it just because the other apostles told him that they had seen Jesus and that he was indeed alive again. So I want you to, before you and me both get too critical of uh, t 
Thomas and his weakened theology, let's remember some things. He had been an eyewitness to Jesus dying. He saw the whole horrible thing right before his eyes. And uh, I'm sure that most of you have had this experience. I have. There really is nothing as convincing as being present when someone uh, passes from this life. Uh, you can imagine Thomas and those that were at the cross that day. We're not really sure who was there. We know John was there, but uh, just imagine seeing the last gush of breath from Jesus' body, his eyes roll back in his skull. Thomas saw that. He saw Jesus give up the ghost. He saw Jesus' stiffening body taken down off of the cross, and he saw the congealed blood on the wounds on the body of, of Jesus. And Thomas saw with his own eyes this whole picture of Jesus' death. And there was no doubt in his mind that he was dead. His experience had taught him, his eyes had shown him, confirmed to him that Jesus was dead, D-E-A-D, -E dead. And now let's just continue to think about that for a little while because we're too hard on doubting Thomas sometimes, I believe. Consider also what a shock, what a, an embarrassment it was for these men's hero uh, to demonstrate finally his humanity by dying publicly on a cross like a common criminal. There couldn't have been a worse way for him to die. Uh, there were no chariots of fire and thunder and lightning as there was with Elijah when the Lord called him up to heaven. No whirlwind, just an agonizing death that proved Jesus obviously was just a man, or at least suggested that. So they witnessed this, Thomas and the disciples, and, and between them all, they experienced a, a wide range of emotions. Some of them just went into a state of depression. Some stared in disbelief. The Bible says some walked down the road to Emmaus. They got out of town. Some locked themselves up, the Bible says, in fear for their lives, thinking maybe uh, they were to be next, uh, maybe to be killed, as being part of such a ridiculous idea in the first place. And then, as if the Lord's death wasn't confusing to them enough, someone now says, oh, he's alive again. But Thomas makes up his mind. He refuses to be confused again. He's already quit his job. He left his family, committed his life to a man and his cause, and that man ended up dying like a thief on a cross. So here's what happened. Seeing the Lord crucified made Thomas question his faith. So apparently what Thomas decides to do is he makes up his mind to trust only what he can see, what he can perceive by his senses. 
And that's generally what we do when our faith seems to fail. We go backwards in, our, in the uh, progression toward the Lord and our relationship with him. When our faith gets weak, we begin to cleave to the known, the tangible. And sometimes we just throw away our faith like it's an old coat ready for the trash can. Thomas can't believe by faith anymore without the touch. He says, I'll go back to believing when I not only see him, but I touch my finger to the nail prints in his hands, and I touch my hand to the scar where the spear pierced his side. And with that bold declaration, he wins this nickname that he still wears today in Christianity called Doubting Thomas. Uh, I wonder, you know, sometimes I just think up crazy stuff like this, crazy questions. I don't have a written list somewhere of questions I'm going to ask the Lord when I see him on the other side. I have a feeling that 99.9% of them I won't care about the answer then anyway. But if I did take my list up to heaven with me, Sister Marion, one of the questions probably would be, uh, Lord, are you going to let anybody go up to Thomas up here in heaven and call him by that name? You going to let anybody call him Doubting Thomas? We could take a vote. My vote would be no. I don't think anyone will call him that. But uh, that's the nickname that he won. Now, the good news is Thomas does, in just a few days, get the physical evidence that he needs. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, his faith is restored. So he goes back into faith, but it's based upon what he saw and what he touched. But Jesus then turns around to him and says, you have believed because you have seen, but blessed are they who believe without seeing. And so here Jesus is saying, Thomas, you got your faith back again, but he applauds and he compliments those who have faith without physical evidence being required, without the touch. You, you might as well say, uh, though, well, as long as Thomas believes, what difference does it make? He got to the right destination in the end. Well, I'm glad you asked. Suppose Thomas, like millions of other people, was never given the privilege or the opportunity to touch the wounds or see Jesus in person, would that factor have altered uh, what happened to Jesus and his resurrection? Of course not. Jesus was still alive, whether Thomas got to see him afterwards or not. Put up Romans 3 and 3. Paul really says this in this verse. He says, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. 
You know what that means? I love that phrase because the older I get in the Lord, the more I realize its meaning. That means if the whole world have to be liars in order for God's word to be true, then that's what's going to happen, honey. You can't out-truth God. If what I say or what you say is different from what God says, then guess who's right and who's wrong? God's right, right every time, even if he's the only one. So I want you to consider tonight we who live about 2,000 years after this happened, we serve a God that uh, we cannot see. We decide to give our life, our eternity, in uh, serving him through this life on earth and then whatever eternity befalls us based on nothing more than faith. Believing in something we can't see and we can't touch. And because of that, according to Jesus, and the life lived by hundreds of thousands of people in the last 2,000 years, we are in a better position to be blessed of God and to receive things from God than any of those people who ever got to see and touch Jesus in person did. Blessed is he who hath not seen and yet believed. So Thomas ultimately believes, and, and, and he becomes, by all accounts of history, and we don't have anything in the Bible to refute this, he becomes uh, a great witness for the Lord, and he too was martyred for Christ, as all of the disciples were, for their faith, and, and he was faithfully committed. But I've just got to believe that his relationship with the Lord, uh, it, 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 it was a little bit different because the trust that he had in God wasn't the kind that God wanted him to have because he depended on his senses to establish what he was going to believe. Think about it. If Thomas hadn't had that opportunity to spend those last few moments with Jesus after his resurrection, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, if he hadn't got that chance, then he probably would have been lost. He probably wouldn't have been saved because he wouldn't have believed. And he would have been robbed of, of, of the gift of eternal life because he believed only with his senses. But you and I understand today that our senses can fool us. Criminal justice experts tell us that the most, listen, most unreliable evidence in a court case is an eyewitness. I said the most unreliable. But I know it sounds so condemning to tell a, an alleged criminal, we've got an eyewitness who saw you at the scene of the crime. That sounds so condemning because we have so much confidence in our senses and what we see and what we can feel, what we hear and what we touch. But our eyes play tricks and deceive us because it is documented in case after criminal case. It is proven that people not just sometimes, but
but seldom really know exactly what they saw. That's how a magician makes his living. Did he really saw that woman in half? Is she really floating in midair? Well, we know that that's not the case. It's sleight of hand. It's an optical illusion. But we believe what we think we see, even if it's not real. So much of what we believe is based on what we receive through our senses. That's why we've got to conquer our flesh, folks. I know you didn't say amen because it's real hard and you may think you're not doing it. I, I'm doing as bad a job as anybody in here. It's a daily fight. But don't think, don't think that because you think you're not doing a good job in the battle over your flesh that you're not winning. You're here tonight. Not that anyone who's not here is losing the battle against their flesh. I don't mean that. But you understand what I'm saying. When we do that, the more we yield to our flesh nature, the more we, the Bible calls that, walk in the flesh instead of in the spirit, the more we let what we receive through our senses guide us and influence us. But let's go back to the scripture and find, uh, let's look in Hebrews 11 uh, and, and see that the Bible gives us Story after story, account after account of person after person who were blessed because they did it by faith without sight and without the touch. It talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah in Hebrews 11. It talks about the achievements of Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and the list goes on and on, talking about the great men and women of the Bible and what they accomplished by their faith, not their senses, but their faith. Let's read the first verse of Hebrews 11. In fact, let's read the first two verses. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and by it, the elders, that's the Old Testament saints, obtain a good report or testimony. You see, those folks were blessed because they had a faith so strong, they clung to it, even in times of opposition to their senses. Let's think about David. If he had just depended on his senses, he never would have defeated Goliath because Goliath, when you look at him, was 10, 11 foot tall, so much taller than this 16-year-old little shepherd boy, so much bigger, so much stronger. But David's faith in God that God would give him the power to overcome that Philistine enemy was so strong that David was able to do it. And the Bible is just full of stories of people just like that who had the faith to do things, really, when you look at it, that were superhuman, that were above human ability, feats that they would have never thought possible if they had to think about it from the viewpoint of their senses. Let's go further down in this chapter and read with verse 32. What more shall I say? 
for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, I love this verse, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens or the enemy. Women received their dead to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Listen, you've got to realize that there are times when faith makes no sense to the human mind. I mean, how can a, a vast sea actually be parted where the waves leap up on one another on two sides and become a wall and, and ground becomes dry overnight so that a, a, a pack of three to six million Jews can walk over that sea on dry ground? How can that happen? How can one man defeat an entire army? How can the entire world have been created just by the word coming out of the mouth of God? It, it, it involves having this, this I, I don't know the proper word for it, the guts, the, the wherewithal, whatever it is that God gives us by his grace, to believe in spite of our senses, that's what makes uh, us in the eyes of some so-called intellectuals of this world, uh, it makes us in their minds gullible, simple-minded, perhaps even fools. But, but, but you know what? If you really look at the situation under close scrutiny, you will see that even the most gifted intellectuals of this world and even the most practical-minded people who wouldn't dare to dream of believing in a fairy tale called the Bible, even they have to function on some level of faith. It may not be faith in God, but it's faith. Believing something you can't see and you can't touch. In fact, I don't think it's possible for any human being alive to avoid operating in faith of some kind. Think about the investor who puts his money in the stock market. He does that by faith. Nobody knows from day to day which way the stocks will go. And lately, to the uh, concern of many thousands, hundreds of thousands, or perhaps millions of people, they've been going in the wrong direction. But that's a part of it. Yet millions of dollars are spent every day on the stock market, something that has absolutely no guarantees. Or think about the person who makes a career move after working for the same company for Decades, and all of a sudden, he gets a better offer for whatever reason, decides to pull up his family, his roots, take his kids, pack up everything they own, and move across the country on uh, uh, the, the hope that a new job that he has accepted will work out. And think about the new company. They don't know whether it's going to work out either because they put him on a temporary basis for 90 days. But he moves his children across the country, buys a house, starts a new life, He's doing that by faith. There's no other way to put it. And we can apply this same principle to 
hundreds of other uh, situations. What about the tired housewife who comes home from work or a day of whatever she's been doing and she doesn't have time to cook dinner so she stops by the fast food place and she orders six hamburgers and three large orders of fries and uh, uh, I guess uh, an apple pie and she drives up to the window and gives her money to an absolute stranger that she's never met in her life without checking the contents of the bag and drives off confident that she got what she paid for. Let me tell you something, if I ever saw faith, that's it. That's our family motto. We learned decades ago, all four of us, you never drive off from a drive through window without checking your bag. You know what? I think it's virtually impossible to go 24 hours through this life and not do anything that demands some kind of element of faith. It's an unavoidable byproduct of a certain quality of our life called uncertainty. We deal with some degree of uncertainty, all of us do every day, the unknown. And every human being does it, whether they serve God or not. People who don't serve God and don't put their faith in God, put their faith in other things regarding those things in their life that are uncertain. You know what? I, I am so glad that God gave me the grace to realize that I, I better put my faith in him more than anything else. You know, somebody may be thinking, well, the, Pastor, there's, there's some concrete truths in the world, in this life, scientific facts that have been proven in the laboratory test. Uh, scientific facts, you say, like, the scientific fact that the earth is flat. There was a time in the history of this country when it was a fact the earth was flat. Some of the great explorers uh, a thousand years ago were told if you sail too far out in that ocean, you'll fall off the edge of the world. Scientific facts like the fact that the sun revolves around the earth, that was thought to be a scientific fact hundreds of years ago and so forth and so on. What is a scientific fact, quote, unquote, today might be folly tomorrow. And how many of us really understand all of that uh, science anyway? You know, every day, I, uh, every once in a while, I'll, you know, the Bible says confession is good for the soul. Every once in a while, I'll entertain myself by watching interesting videos on YouTube. Uh, there was my... Uh, well, I can't use the word it used, although I use it out of the pulpit. Uh, very crazy people in cars and vehicles stage that I went through, watching how people can operate a motorized vehicle in so many terrible ways and wind up in terrible circumstances because of it. Then I went through one month my uh, watching police chase phase, police chases, well, recently, a few nights ago, it was plane crashes. And I was reminded, really, how fragile a thing an airplane really is. Now, it's great that uh, science, scientists, experts 
Many years ago, beginning with the Wright brothers, well, I was told they really weren't the first to fly an airplane, but somebody came up with the idea of uh, thermodynamics, the, the, the scientific law, supposedly, that we can defy gravity enough to get an airplane up in the air and fly it for a while. And that was expounded upon and expanded and technology increased until today we have thousands of people every day around the world, including this country, board uh, supersonic jets and have faith that they're going to arrive healthy and well and whole in their destination hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles away, even though they climb to heights of thousands of feet in the air. Now, I say that's by faith. Uh, somebody could try to explain it to me. Now, you might understand it. They might try to explain to me the physics of how uh, an airplane works and how it defies gravity, but, but I wouldn't be able to grasp it. Uh, so when it's all said and done, you've got 30,000 uh, or, or uh, two or 300 people, 30,000 feet in the air, and they're all riding in that contraption totally by faith. And even if we could understand the mechanics of flying, we still have no guarantee that something won't go wrong and that there won't be some kind of malfunction. I'm telling you, it's all about faith. And so ultimately, at some time or another, every day, every one of us is required to operate in life based on faith. Whether that's faith in God or faith in what we read or faith in what somebody's promised us, you can't function without faith. How would you let your children leave the house in the morning without the faith that they would come home safe? You've got to have that faith. How would you get into a car and drive it if you didn't have faith that the other guys on the, the road are going to obey the rules of the road with no proof uh, of what's going to happen. We do that every day by faith. Uh, I'm going to tell you tonight, no Christian should ever be embarrassed by their faith because everybody, Christian or no, operates in some area of faith. It's just that we choose to have faith in God. I am unapologetically a Christian I believe in Jesus Christ. There are people who disagree with my convictions, but that's all right with me. I know whom in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded like the Apostle Paul that he is able to keep everything I've committed unto him, my soul, my life, my family, my eternity, until the day that he comes to get me and take me out of this world where I won't have to live by faith anymore. Praise God. Well, pastor, what good really is faith? I've got bad things happening to me, and I, I believe in God. I trust in God. I try to. Well, Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. Some things are just life. That's right, Brother Jeff. Sometimes it gets terribly wet. Uh Jesus said one time in Mark 11, I love this simple statement, verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. 
That's all he said. Have faith in God. You know what I think he's saying here? Jesus is saying, you just have confidence in the sovereign ability of your God to rule over his creation every day, including your life. Have faith in God. That, that's a commandment, really, when you think about it. It should relieve us uh, of the urge to put our faith in people or places or things or anything else but God, anything that's unreliable, and it should encourage us to put it into our God who is always faithful, always dependent, always sure. And you know what else have faith in God does for us? It relieves us uh, of having to have an answer for every question. Uh, it relieves us from having to have an antidote, an answer for every problem, a cure for every crisis. Because when we can't see tomorrow, doesn't matter what everybody else says to us, you do this, you do that, I'm going to trust the one who can take my tomorrow. He knows how to make the right turns in my life. He knows how to get me where I need to go. And when I can't trust myself, I can depend on him and his excellent wisdom and his all-seeing eye and his love for me above everything else to know what's best for me. You see, and I've got to bring this to a close, Thomas' problem really wasn't that he didn't have faith, but it was misdirected faith. He had faith in what he could see and what he could touch, in the physical, in the tangible things that he could observe with his own human senses or attributes. But Jesus got the rest of his disciples, hopefully, and he has millions of people ever since to understand. He's got us here tonight to understand that there is a deeper level of faith. It's faith in God. And it's believing that God has the ability to transcend, to go above our limited resources. And when we have faith in him, when we have faith in him that releases that power that he has to work in our behalf, when we believe that he's going to do what he says he would do in this word, when we believe what he, he says to us, when he gives us that rhema word, when he quickens that word to us with a promise to us individually, and we can believe that and have faith in that no matter what. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Musicians, why don't you come? The Bible says God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. You can't say, I don't have it. You got enough to get started with. That's all that's required is enough to start. Everybody's got enough faith. God gave it to you to start out with him and then here's what you're supposed to do so you won't be looking for the touch so you won't be looking with your eye you have to exercise your faith that's how you get stronger you have to go through some things you have to endure some tough times that's the will of God. That's the plan of God. 
It's the only way we, because of the way we're made up, can grow stronger, mature, more spiritual, and for God to be able to bless us more. It's like anything else. I think of the example of the, the human body. You know, resistance training, exercise makes your muscles grow. And that's true of your spiritual muscles. That's how David destroyed Goliath. He learned a formula for dealing with the tough things of life, starting out with smaller things and graduating to bigger things. He told King Saul, look, I, I can't do it your way. God gave me victory over the bear who came after my daddy's sheep. And then he gave me victory over the lion who came after those sheep. And I know... I haven't faced an enemy that tough, but because I've been through some battles before and God gave me victory, I can take that old booger named Goliath down. It won't be me. It'll be God in me. Because he had exercised that faith before. Now, when you flunk the test, God doesn't kick you out of class. The only way you get kicked out of class is to take yourself out of class. God doesn't kick anybody out of church. We quit coming to church ourselves. But if we'll stick with it, doesn't matter how many times we fall flat on our face, doesn't matter how many times we mess up, God always gives us the lesson again. And when we finally pass it, we graduate to the next one and so forth and so on. And David told Saul that day, by the way, I can't wear your armor because I haven't tried it that way. I haven't tested that armor. He put it on and realized that. He had to put it on before he realized that, but then he quickly handed it back to King Saul and said, no, I'm going to just take my sling and my five stones from the brook I already picked up on the way here, and I'm going to, I'm going to win this victory, or God's going to win this victory through me. Praise God. Let's stand together. You, I don't know what you're going through. You may have a have a lion or a bear that you're facing tonight and the devil may have prepared that and sent that to you let me tell you something the devil would not have been allowed to do that without the Lord letting him and the Lord let him so that you can work on your faith so that you can exercise your faith and go to the next level in God and let me tell you something, every time you go to the next level, the blessings at that next level are greater than the blessings at the level you just left. I don't know about you, but I want all I can get in God. I, don't want, I want all I can get from God. Maybe you've passed the bear and the lion stage, and now you're facing a, a giant, a, a Goliath tonight. God's going to give you victory if you do it His way. If you have faith in Him, not in what you can see and what you can touch. Every head bowed and every eye closed right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to open this altar, and we're going to see what God wants to do for us tonight. God, we know that you're here to do a work. Your word has gone forth. Now I pray that the response in our heart to your word would be exactly what you want it to be. That's why you brought us to this house tonight, to respond to you. You knew before we got here what you were going to say to us and what you were going to do to us, what you were going to let us feel and what you were going to let us think. 
And now, God, it's on us. Help us to do it the right way. Don't let a single person walk out of here without responding the way you want us to. Don't let a single person turn that computer or that iPad off, that phone off, watching online without first saying to you, God, not my will, but your will be done in my life. That your will be done right now, we pray. Help us to understand it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by our faith in your spirit working in our life that will bring us to victory every time. We praise you for it. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.